0: God has blessed me in ways that I can't begin to count. But as I was listening to that lavish introduction, all I could sit here and think was, few blessings have been greater than the blessing of the faculty and staff that have been part of this team in all these years that I was active at the school. Somehow God gave me enough sense to know that if I were going to be successful in the role to which I was called, I would have to get around me people who were smarter, more godly, more capable than I was. And I say that in all candor. And so Those kind of people were all around me. I remember when I first was asked by the board to be president, I was, I think, 32 years old and in no way qualified. The faculty who taught me just had recently taught me everything I knew were well aware how unqualified I was. And for the first five years, I did basically nothing to change anything. I was so scared of a wrong move that would take this school in a wrong direction. And so I tried to follow the godly faculty who had been here for years and knew what this place was supposed to be all about and loved God and the power of God was evident in their lives. I just tried to follow them for the first five years. I tried to follow them as their leader. (laughs) And uh, I'm grateful for their patience. And continue to be to this day. I want to thank all of you who are praying for this conference. And I'm, I'm speaking for each faculty, each speaker when I say that. I, it is uh, utterly uh, daunting to think of handling the word of truth. Lest you should speak what is not in this book. Care, speak carelessly. Speak carelessly fail to speak what is in it that needs to be said, and to know that if the leading of the Holy Spirit is not here in His presence and His power, it's utterly in vain. So for those of you that are praying for God's presence this week, thank you very, very much. And I would also like to say to this point that my heart has been greatly blessed by the music. So, all of you that are ministering here, uh, thank you for what you're doing in any way. I have a question before I get to the message. Just curious. Uh, How many of you can remember ever hearing in your church a message? from the book of jude you're conscious that you heard a message from the book of jude would you put your hand up i am so happy for that the number is greater than i would have thought this is good how many of you can remember before this week ever hearing messages from the book of jude during your tenure at bob jones university Okay, um, we have failed you. Now, it may be that you just had a bad rememberer. <laughs> <laughs> what we experience here in the book of Jude is a balanced ministry. He's writing to a no-name church. And he said, my real passion is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ, to proclaim Christ and His saving power and all of His attributes. That would be what I would like to write to you. But I'm also aware that my ministry would be deficient to you if I did not call your attention to the fact that there are influences at work in your church that would subvert the gospel, that would distort who Jesus is, and lead you into gross sin without knowing that you were doing anything wrong and attributing the grace of Jesus Christ to being the cause of your licentious lives. Insulting God Almighty in doing so, we must understand that anything we have is subject to decay and death. Every living organism is a dying organism. That includes your church, and that includes Bob Jones University and any ministry anywhere. Spiritual death and decay, when you read the Bible from the prophets of old right through the conclusion of the canon's completion— From Old Testament to New, satanic forces at work to corrupt the truth of God among his people is kind of the central truth of the scripture. Why is it, therefore, there are so few preachers preaching these days, giving warnings to this effect? I think we get a little hint of that when Jude says, I would have rather done the other, but I was compelled by duty to warn you of these things and expose these things to you, lest your faith should be corrupted. It's not easy dealing with a theme like this. It is unpopular. Throughout the history of Bob Jones University, the greatest opposition this school has faced has not been from the world of sinners, but from the world of professing believers who thought we had gone nuts and gone to seed on the defense of the faith. For some reason or another, God gave the founder his son, me, Stephen, all of us who have come down the line, an understanding of the essential component of defending the faith together with the proclaiming of the faith. But you don't defend, you will lose. John Calvin told the Queen of the it was a part of Spain, said, a dog will bark When his master is attacked, woe is me when the faith of Jesus Christ is under attack and I keep my mouth shut. The attack upon the faith is not often an affrontal attack, sometimes it is. Back in the era when the school was founded, the attack upon the faith was huge. Fundamentalism took a very visible form at that time. Uh, The liberal church, the unbelievers, who still had a facade of being ministers, were preaching how wonderful evolution is. And uh, how foolish it is uh, to be so strict in your fundamental faith and practice. I-, I was reading even this week a sermon by Harry Emerson Fosdick. name probably doesn't mean much to you, but there will be a connection with it perhaps later in the sermon. He founded, was the first pastor at least, of the uh, Riverside Church in New York City. Big, beautiful, gothic Uh, facade, the money of uh, Nelson Rockefeller built that church. And in fact, when Nelson Rockefeller was asked to be the pastor, I mean, when Fosdick was asked to be the pastor of that church, he declined because he didn't want to be known as the pastor of the richest man in America. And Rockefeller responded, Do you think that more people will criticize you on the account of my wealth than will criticize me on the account of your theology? His theology was man-centered. He was an utter unbeliever. The sermon I read was entitled, Shall Fundamentalism Win?, And he was saying, it must not, it cannot, it certainly will not in my church, and I hope never anywhere near me. He said, why are they, his exact words were, why are they quarreling over little matters? And then he described what he thought were little matters, the blood atonement of Jesus Christ, the verbal inspiration of Scripture. A bodily resurrection, a God of miracles, the supernatural nature of the Word of God and of God's working. He was an utter unbeliever, and social justice was the theme of his whole life and preaching. It was all about man about what's wrong with society, and he was saying, since so much is wrong in society, according to him, why are we wasting so much time on the little matters? The things he thought were little matters were the essential matters that matter to God and is the theme of His revelation of Himself and His Son to this world. These little matters, in Fosdick's mind, are the big matters here at Bob Jones University, and if you're not in the church that they are not big matters for, you need to get out of your church. I want to call your attention before I talk more about Jude. To the third chapter of Revelation, beginning verse 6, and the church at Sardis. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Just read a few of these verses. Because they are related to the book of Jude and the whole theme of what I'd like to say today. Under the angel of the church at Sardis write. Who is making that request? Jesus Christ telling John what to say to his church, Jesus' church, the Lord of the church, when it said to his church, These things, saith he, that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works thou hast a name that thou livest, but you are dead. Be watchful, Who is he addressing this challenge to? The pastor of the church, to the angel of the church. All of these seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 were addressed, all of these admonitions, to the pastor. As we were reminded last night, the book of Jude was written to the people of the church. He said, I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Don't forget what you used to be. Don't forget what you are now supposed to be. And repent for your failure of holding fast and start doing it again. If you will not watch, I will come as a thief, God says. Jesus says, And thou shalt know not what hour I will come upon thee. You have a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. Do we have ears? Well, then, He's telling us, you better hear this. But it's more than just having these floppy things out here. It's about hearing with discerning ears. If you have ears to hear the message of this and are willing to stand fast and be watchful and do something about it and restore what you have lost, then this message is for you. This message that we're preaching this week in in this conference will go right over the head of many of you. You don't have ears to hear because you don't have a heart to hear. What matters to God doesn't matter to you. Your life's about you. It's not about the Lord of glory. And it's not about what gives Him glory. It's not about what His purposes are for the, His creation, this world, and mankind. And it's meaningless to you how to get a good degree and get ahead in life and make a lot of money and make a name for yourself and enjoy yourself. That's what your life is about. So what's being preached this week is utterly meaningless. You'll go out of here just like you came in unless the Spirit of God comes down upon you and opens your ears as well as your eyes and maybe even needs to save your soul. The faith once delivered to the saints was the issue of this address of Jude. What the Church has always believed since its founding at Pentecost, what it's always believed and preached by the apostles and those who followed them about Jesus Christ and His Church, that which has to be entered into by saving faith, because it can't be worked up. A faith based on God's revelation of Himself in His Word, which is forever settled in heaven. By by the way, the fact that this was once delivered is a very important part of Jude's address to this church. Once delivered. There's nothing more to be added. It's complete. Anybody who tells you they had a vision from God that is in addition to His Word. Anybody like the Mormons who said the Word wasn't completed until Joseph Smith's revelation. He had something more to be added. And so what they are interested in now is what Joseph Smith said, not in what God said. I was listening to a television program on the PTL network years ago. Pat Robertson, the founder of all that stuff, was sitting there speaking, and he said, I had a revelation from God. And what he told me is just exactly the same thing as he told the apostles just as authentic just as necessary for the church nothing could be more contrary to the word of god It's faith once delivered there's no more that god wants us to know at this point in human history he revealed everything about himself he wants us to know but there's something else about this faith once delivered that is must not elude us and that is that the sanctifying gospel must be accompanied, uh, must accompany the saving gospel. I would rather have preached to you the saving gospel, but I have got to talk to you about the sanctifying gospel as well. What the gospel, when it comes to bloom in saving grace in a heart, what it produces... everything changes and we are new creatures he wrote this to the church belonging to the living god 1st timothy 3:15 talks about the church of the living god and he said that church teaches us how to behave in his church what the lifestyle of the saved people the living saints who are gathered together to worship the living God through the power of the living spirit of God and form in their assembly thereby the church of the living God on a local level. He said there are things that are important to me about my church. And what is important is that sneaky creepers who have designs on your church don't win. Why is this week necessary for you? You're going to be members of churches, I trust, Bible-believing churches, separated, fundamentalist, Bible-believing churches, not just anything. And somewhere along the way, at some point, sneaky creepers, like Jude was addressing, are going to come in with some false doctrine, some motive, some agenda to take your church in another direction I pray that you will have a pastor who is spiritually discerning and will preach the devil out of those people and out of those churches or teach those people who are empowered of the devil and what they're doing out of those churches they don't belong there I pray that the preaching at Bob Jones University would always be so direct, so uncomfortable, so scriptural, so persistent, and unrelenting in proclaiming God's truth, all of the truth, not just the saving gospel of Christ, but the sanctifying gospel of Christ, that you'll be so uncomfortable if you're not one of the Lord, you'll get out of here. Your presence is a detriment. To this church, as the presence of these licentious livers were to the church being addressed in Jude. Those who have not the Spirit of God, sometimes a symbol in churches that are sold out to the truth of God, would fight and die for the truth of God. And they infiltrate and suddenly they pervert it there are people in every church who are there because they grew up in that culture their family goes back generations there or they like some component of the church if they're in the wrong kind of church they like the wrong kind of music they find there or they want the self-help how to have a good family how to be at peace with yourself and with the world, self-help kind of message. That there's a, there's a reason for them being there that is the wrong reason. But they stay there. I was talking to a pastor in this town some years ago. He was a new pastor. He was married to one of our graduates. And he pastored a church of two or 3,000 people. I said, tell me what is the greatest need in your church? He said that half my congregation would get saved. He said, I have third, fourth, fifth generation believers, uh, uh, people in this church. They're no more saved than the chairs they sit in. I know it. I know what their lives are. But it's just their culture to be here. It's their habit on Sunday. And so I preach every, no matter what my subject is, I, I end up with 10 or 15 minutes of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a gospel invitation that some of them would get saved. What was going wrong in this church, these pretenders who were subverting the doctrine of Christ and teaching a corrupting message affecting the morals of the assembly, And as we heard last night, wonderfully presented, they were already under the judgment of God. They were already headed to hell. The Spirit of God did not dwell in them. They were not not of God. They were pretenders. People like that are in every church. You're going to go out someday and raise your family in these churches? If the book of Jude is not in the warp and woof of your understanding of what the Bible teaches, your family may be subverted. They may fall under the influence of lying spirits, deceivers, doctrinal perversions. The perversion here was, as far as this moral influence concerned, was I have received the grace of God and that frees me up to just live any way I want to. I'm under grace, I'm not under law. Well, we're not under law. We're under the moral law of God. There's a seminary not too far from where we are. And some of the local pastors from time to time go there and pick up a course or two. From those who've been there and said in that they... Say It's common for the, lunch, the students on the lunch hour to go out and have a pizza and some beer and sit around, jawbone, and drink their beer, and go back to class. And nobody cares. It's acceptable there. Over the years, the university has been criticized for its rules and the enforcement of its rules. And by the way, if you're not going to enforce your rules, you better not have them. It's far more deleterious to a person's life to be in the midst of duplicity, hypocrisy. It is hypocrisy to have rules you don't enforce. It doesn't mean the rules are sacred rules. It means that it's the rules. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to go live under every rule you were taught here because it has some sacred... It doesn't. It's not, it's not a matter of morals. But it is a matter of deportment. It is a matter of living under authority. It is a matter of a common... a common... Um, appearance. It doesn't mean that your outward appearance is necessarily an indication of your heart. But the truth is, my friends, that... If you sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, as Second Timothy, the third chapter says in the 15th verse, if you sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, it will show out in the sanctified nature of your life. You will be spiritually, if you are saved and growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ and the holiness of God, the reality of who God really is has gripped your heart you will seek to be more like Him because the Scripture says, Be ye holy as I am holy. That will be your desire. It will be your nature. It doesn't mean perfection. It's a continual growth through life. As the Word of God is preached, the Word of God is studied. It's a hammer and chisel that knocks away the rough places on that, block, on that life, that character that the Bible is, is sculpting. That it may end up in the image of Christ. It is Christ's likeness that your life should aspire to. And you should put yourself in a place where the influence of the word of God has a cutting edge on it. Maybe even an irritating edge. If you will not submit yourself to it, it will be irritating. Sometimes we have to get angry before we get happy. Before we submit to it. And agree with God. And the peace of God comes into the life. If you're sitting here as a rebel today against God. Everything related to the preaching of the holiness of God will irritate you. Because it will just make you aware of how unlike the Lord you are. The people that Jude wrote to were addressed as those who are sanctified and kept in Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, there were those in the church who weren't sanctified. The imposters were not. But many were. Many in Sardis were. Some in Sardis were. The Lord is always patient to those whose heart is right toward Him, and they want to be more right as they learn more about what is right in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not everybody will appreciate Jude's preaching or the preaching of those who earnestly contend for the faith to this present day. But those who fear the Lord and keep His words and His statutes will appreciate it. You see, my friends, until the foundation of God's character is set in our lives, until the foundation of God's holy character is in our life. Irreverent, unholy thoughts producing unholy behavior will always characterize our lives. We're not born in this world with our faces toward heaven. Redeeming grace changes us, changes our direction and our behavior. What becomes important now is Christ like character to our lives. If this institution ever minimizes or stops in making the preaching so clear and the enforcement so important that the pressure of God's word ceases to be on our hearts. then your reason for being here is all over. This is an institution of liberal arts, higher education, and you're going to get the best you can get anywhere. But that's not the main reason you're here, and it certainly is not the primary reason we're here. We're here for what happens to your growth in godliness. And the best we can, this school has always tried to shape you in a direction to seek the Lord in such a knowing way that you are growing in His grace. You're knowing more about Him. And beholding Him more and more through His Word, as it describes who He is, you'll begin to look more like Him. Those things in our character which are unlike Him those sinful things we're all born toward with and directed toward by coming into this world until christ intersects us and saves us those things will not matter but once they, he has they ought to matter supremely look first thessalonians 4 says god has not called us to uncleanness but unto holiness he has given to us his holy spirit what does that mean The Holy Spirit's teaching us about the holiness of God is the starting point for an understanding of God. God describes Himself as holy. For instance, uh, Isaiah 57, Thus says the High and Holy One who inhabits eternity. He describes Himself as the Holy One who inhabits eternity. And He goes on to say there, I live in a high and holy place, but also with Him that is of a lowly and contrite spirit, a humble heart that gets me out of the way and brings Him into the center of my life. Somebody wrote something I thought was really good. Holiness is a flower that grows not in man's nature. Holiness is a divine offspring. It is a pearl of price that is to be found in no nature but the nature of a renewed man. In no bosom but a sanctified bosom. There is not the least beam or spark of holiness in any natural man in the world. Well, Genesis says that in Noah's day, every imagination of thought of man's heart was only evil continually. That's the way it is in the unregenerated heart today. Let me just give you an example or two of what it costs any church, any Christian ministry, that seeks to do what Jude instructs this church to do. And since it was not a named church, it is a general epistle, it's for all of us. It's, 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 it's in the Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. This is profitable for us as much as it was for the church addressed here. It costs something earnestly contend for the faith that's why there's so little of it in the evangelical world new evangelicalism often preaches the saving doctrines as Jude said I started out to talk to you about that the common salvation affects all of us. But it's what they don't preach out of the Word of God, what they neglect in their pulpits, even things like you're hearing in this conference this week, that makes it so easy for them to embrace things, even false teachers, just because they don't recognize them They're not seeking a discerning spirit, perhaps, because there's a price. People will leave your churches if you preach like this. People will leave a a student body like that. When my grandfather—I'm going to take you back to the mid-'50s now— when my father and my grandfather started preaching against ecumenical evangelism, as it was represented at that time, as it came into full bloom at that time on a national scale— When Billy Graham accepted an invitation to preach in Madison Square Garden for several weeks under the auspices, the sponsorship, of the Protestant Council of New York City. These were men like Harry Emerson Fosdick that I talked about at the beginning. Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale's preaching was Love Yourself. He wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. He was the forerunner of Joel Osteen, if you will. These were some of the men in the Protestant Council that sponsored the preaching of the gospel through Billy Graham's lips in Madison Square Garden. Among those who said This is wrong. This is unscriptural. This is unheard of. This is wrong. Because the scripture said, John wrote in 2 John, Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ doesn't have God. He's unsaved. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, that is of who Jesus is, as is revealed in the Bible, Don't bid him Godspeed. Don't partake of his evil deeds. Don't even slap him on the back and say, God bless you, brother. He's a devil. He's bringing another Christ to the church. Romans 16, 17 and 18, I beseech you, brethren, mark those. By the way, that's what Jude told this church. Mark these deceivers, these sneaky creepers, and get rid of them. Know who they are and don't listen to them. They don't belong among you. Paul saying this also to the Roman Church. Beseech you, mark those who cause division and offensive contrary to the doctrine, that is of Christ, which you have learned, and avoid them. They that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple." There is no shortage of instruction in the Bible about how you treat unbelief in the churches. So, these unbelieving pastors, these unbelieving churches, sponsored the preaching of the gospel that they did not believe. This went on for weeks. The gospel that was preached spoke to hearts, and many got saved. So when those spoke up and said, what's happening there is unscriptural, immature and uninformed believers said, well, look at all the people getting saved. Look at the results. My friends, we don't judge what we see by what we see. We judge what we see by what the word says about what we see. These people in Jude, these people that John was addressing, these people that Paul was addressing, they lacked discerning eyes to make a right appraisal of what they saw. And so will you and so will I, if we don't have God's perspective on it. That's why this is essential. We're easily deceived. As this church being addressed in Jude was about to be deceived, he wanted their eyes to be opened. Because the people there didn't put deceiver on a t-shirt and wear it around the church. So when people like my father and grandfather, I was a student sitting as you are in the student body. They began to preach against this. This is wrong. This is unscriptural. Yes, people are getting saved. God's word will do its work. It will prosper whereunto it is sent. Do you remember when the Philistines took the ark captive? And then God judged them for it, sent the boils and all of these terribly uncomfortable judgments upon them. And they said, we've got to get this ark back where it belongs. And they took it over the border into Israel. And and David sent a cart down there drawn by oxen, put this ark on the cart and bring it here. And the ark, began to topple as the ruts in the road began to jostle the cart and the ark was about to fall off and a man as a reached out his hand and and he was slain and many including david thought that was an extreme judgment why he was just trying to take care of the ark yes but it was not to be touched the priest who bore the ark bore it with staves through rings on the side of the ark and One man at each corner of those staves carried the ark. They didn't touch it. It represented the sacred presence of God. He tried to do a good thing, but he did it in the wrong way, the unscriptural way. The conveyance of the gospel is as important as the preaching of the gospel. That's the principle here. Doing God's work God's way is essential to doing God's work. You're not, we're not doing God's work if we're not doing it God's way. So when this school began to try to inform the student body of this, parents got upset, students got upset. I say I was a student then. I know. And in the next 18 months, A thousand students left Bob Jones University, and my grandfather said, this may cost us the school, but if it does, it's okay. Let the school close. There doesn't have to be a Bob Jones University. But if there is one, it has to be true to the Word of God and to the Lord that brought it into existence. If He wants to close it because we did right, we stood by the Scriptures, then let Him close it. It's okay. He can do without it. He'll raise up something else. There are other places. But we cannot stay here in contradiction of what God has said. That principle abides today. Whatever happens to this school Whatever occurs because of this school's insistences on the authority and proclamation of the Scripture, whatever happens because this school doesn't tolerate students who are corrupting other students here, will not allow them to be in this student body if they have a corruptive influence hurting other students. If the day ever comes when the school is more interested in having students than having the right kind of student body— who means business for God, who is seeking holy hearts in worship of a holy God, then let it close. It's okay. What Jude is teaching and what I'm trying to preach to you today is that God's glory, God's holiness, God's presence with us is more important than having a school. It is far more important than any academics here. The academics are essential, but godliness is more essential. Any productions here that have an ungodly tinge to them, any activity that mimics a depraved culture at large, Anything that tries to make us look more like the world and less like Christ has to be expunged from this place. Any faculty member, any program, any academic offered that cannot give us more of God's approval or is in any way Corruptive and scripturally errant cannot be tolerated. That's the message of Jude. He bore down on these people, he did it kindly. But by the way, separatism coming out and being separate, saith the Lord as we're taught from Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, is always in a spirit that desires to correct, to restore, and to put back on track. That's what Jude was trying to do, and that was the spirit in which he did it. I know some websites. I I know some people who are fundamentalists. But they're hateful. (laughs) I don't like to be around them. You read their websites, all they exist for is to find something wrong with this group or that group or this group or over here. They live to try to Look for wrong. Listen, there's plenty of wrong in every church and in a place like that. There's plenty of wrong. You don't have to look hard to find it. But it needs to be addressed in the proper way, even as Jude tried to do. And he concluded by saying to them in those last verses, look, be prayerful, be filled with the Spirit, be evangelistic. These things are necessary while you're taking your stand and doing the right thing against the error that is in your midst. So, There's so much more I could have said of so many other occasions where trying to do right at this school was costly. But discerning people said, this is right. It needs to be done. And if the school ever stops doing what needs to be done, you know, a surgeon who will not cut out the cancer because he's afraid it might hurt you to do so, you might say, ouch, he's not worthy to be a surgeon. He's not your friend. He's your enemy. He's leading you to death, not to life. Our Father, help us to listen with discerning ears. And may those who seek to walk in the Spirit, to sanctify you in their hearts, may they search the word to see whether these things be true. In Jesus' name, amen.